This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly supported by McDelivery, bringing you the food you love. McDelivery brings a top-tier lineup of food right to your door. Win, lose or draw, McDelivery will always help bring home the free points. And speaking of points, order now on the McDonald's app and you'll earn reward points through every delivery. Order today, rewards tomorrow. You in? Only via app at participating restaurants, 18 plus, rewards registration required. Points only on menu items, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. This podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Hi guys and welcome back to the Blues Focus Podcast with me, Jamie Lawler, and I'm joined by Zach and Sam this week. How are we boys before we get to the guest? All good mate, all good, All good. very excited. Same, same, good. And we are also joined by former Blues left-back and fan favourite, Martin Granger. How are we doing? Not too bad, gents. How are you? All good, man. All good, mate. All good. All good, excited. Can you start us up, Zach? Yeah, so uh, nice to have you on the pod, Martin, for a second appearance now. Very uh, much appreciate your time uh, with us this evening. Uh, I think we'll start with a bit about current Blues. Um, obviously, on the last episode, we talked a lot about yourself and your career, which, of course, uh, we will do this evening. But a lot has changed at Blues yeah. uh, since you were last on the podcast. We'd like to get uh, a few of your thoughts on the current things going on. I think we'll start, um, as you were a left-back, with your position and the changes that have happened there. Um, we've obviously got Lee Buchanan in now, uh, who's been a, a very good addition to our side. Um, I don't know if you've had too much of an opportunity to watch him, but what are your thoughts on Buchanan as a left-back, or if you haven't, um, what are some of the key characteristics or qualities uh, a left-back needs, um, given you are uh, a very good left-back yourself uh, back in the day? Well, I, I, as, as you say, because I'm well, 150 miles away, I've not seen too much of him. Um, but it looks like the manager's made some really good signings this year. Um, and the key factors for me as a left-back is just, you know, you've got to have a good delivery, good defensively, Obviously, work as a team. Um, a bit of pace, which I didn't have, would be Andy. Um, <laughs> and just support support the player in front of you. And it sounds like the way you're you're talking about him that he's doing that those things. Yeah. So you touched on it briefly there, but what are some of the key characteristics you need, particularly as a modern day left back? Because um, as you said, pace is becoming more probably prevalent uh, for defenders these days. Not only full backs, but centre backs as well. Um, but what are some key characteristics you think a modern fullback needs to cope, particularly in the championship? Well, I think the modern fullback these days are more of a, a sort of a, a fullback come winger. Um, they're, they're more of a wingback role. They play high, way, a, a lot more advanced than what we used to when we played. Obviously, football's changed; it's got quicker. Um, but I think you need to be a bit more all round with technical ability. Obviously, you need a bit of pace, um, but they they are more. I would say there's not too many out and out left backs anymore. They're more they're more midfield wingers, but adapting mm. to play fullback. Absolutely, I think you need a more. I think as you said, more attacking prowess these days, as well as those defensive yeah. capabilities in order to survive, particularly in the championship as well. A lot of physicality where. You know, we're coming up against big opposition who you get your six one six to attack as these days with a lot of strength and power about them. Um, but yeah. talking a bit about yourself and your career, um, obviously played for a handful of clubs, um, obviously Blues most notably, Brentford, Colchester too. Um, let's talk about your first move from Colchester to Brentford, went for £60,000, I believe it was. How much pressure comes with yeah. a big price tag? Um, because these days we're seeing players go for millions and millions of pounds and obviously back then £60,000 was a lot of money. So what pressures come with that? Well, but 
time. It, it came out of the blue. I was playing for the reserves at the time um, as a young lad at Colchester. And David Webb sort of just, I think he watched a few reserve games and see something he liked. And then just, it, it sort of went from there. I, I wasn't even expecting it. Um, I think players these days, the if you look at how well Jude Bellingham has, has took that price tag, it's not affected him. He's just, it's just, it's just a number for people to talk about. He's like you do you you do your um your business on the pitch and try to forget about those things. Mm. Yeah. Jamie, you wanna... Yeah, sure. So um so Martin, every I've spoke yeah. to about ten different people today who are older blue noses, and every time I've mentioned your name without fail, <laughs> I've had he was my favourite player growing up. He's honestly my favourite player. So. Obviously, a lot of our readers have you as one of the best fullbacks to play in a blue shirt. Would you agree with that, the way you played? And who would be up there for you? Uh, if I mean, I'm going to say, yeah, I'm the best left-back Blues have ever had. It's just, I think they just like the, the, my style of play. Um, I was aggressive. I loved the tackle. Um, I scored the odd goal. Um, it, was, it was just the way, the, the committed way I played. Probably today, I would, I'd be off the pitch getting sent off. Probably every other game, because um, you can't you can't blow on him. So um, I was going to say that I was going to say you blow on someone to send enough nowadays. Yeah, so I mean, these days it's, it's it's all set out to be an attacking game, which is entertaining, but defending is an art as well, and tackling is an art, which you don't really see too much of anymore. Derby games these days are they're not really derby games, are they? Mm. Yeah, they. I I do agree in that. So they've almost lost. Sort of, I think Blues Villa is a, is a derby we haven't seen in a very long time, obviously because of Villa's recent success and everything being in the Premier League. Um, but I do agree in that even you look at Man U, Man City these days or or fixtures like that, there just doesn't seem to be that that hatred. And I can't remember which game it was, but there was I think United played City last season. Was it? See the FA Cup final, United City. I think it was, yeah. and there was a, I can't remember exactly who it was, but there was pictures and videos of just like all the fans mingling and walking up together. And I think you wouldn't yeah. see that as such these days. And we've actually got a question about Blues Villa a bit later, but I'll ask it now because because we've brought it up. Um, you obviously played in, in a few of those games. What is it like? What is the second City derby like? How heated can it get? Yeah, yeah I mean, back there, a few challenges in. Um, but that's that's the sort of games that really gets you up for, a, up for it as a player. And I'm not being funny. We had... I mean, I've played against Villa twice and won twice, so I haven't lost against them yet. Well, no, I ain't going to lose against them now because I don't play. But um, it, it's one of those games where I lived in Birmingham for eight years, supporters, who was friends. And let me tell you, when when we turned them over, it was fantastic. They'd not mm. stop giving them stick because I had stick for eight years off of these people and they don't like it. I mean, I'm a Tottenham supporter and Arsenal fans are the same. Hmm. You know, and I think Tottenham and Birmingham are, are, are the bigger clubs out of the two. So it was nice to get you. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, there, there is a lot of pressures with, with, with playing in a derby, but I guess the game-to-game basis for Blues, how do you cope with those pressures that come with that as well? Because obviously derbies are big games, but things like cup finals or, or just a general league game, how do you cope with that pressure? I just think you, you just get into your own routine. Um, I used to get to the ground 20, 30 minutes before everyone else. And if I knew I was playing, I'd get changed straight away. You just it's, It just becomes normal. It's just like you guys doing your job. Um, the crowd's there. You know they're there. But you're there to play the game. Um, and then sometimes the atmosphere can get the better of you. But it, it just becomes, you just as you go along in your career, you just it just becomes a norm. It's, 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 it's funny, it's, it's, it's difficult to explain because people go to, like now, people say, how did you play in front of 30, 40,000 people? I just say, well, it was my job. It, it, just, mm. it just felt normal. So is, it, is it something you can shut out then when you're on the pitch? Can you ignore? And I guess sort of touching on that is maybe a little different for players these days with social media, I think in particular, I think it's a lot easier for these younger players to you know feel that potential abuse they're getting online through social media 
But when you were playing, is it still tough to block out those fans on the pitch or or just the general comments outside of football? Or is that fairly um, easy to do for yourself? I think I, I, I snapped just once uh, a supporter. And yeah, a 10-year-old, about a 10-year-old son and they my family. And they said the most disgusting things for 45 minutes. Mm. And I went over to them at the end of the game and told them to let go. Mm. Um Ten minutes later, the police were coming to our dressing room and said it was going to caution me. Really? So that's... Yeah. So because you're the other side of the fence, you're not allowed to say nothing. Which times, things can get to you. Um, and sometimes you do get reaction. But in in the most of it, I just, you just used to think, blot it out. Sometimes you could have a bit of banter back with them and they would accept that. Uh, but a lot of the time, you, you just get pelters, so you just got on with it. Mm. Sam? Hi, Martin. Yeah, I was just going to sort of add on that, um, what you're speaking about, sort of the hostilities and the recent sort of crowds or whatever. Um, what would you say is like the best atmosphere you've played in, like in a Birmingham shirt? Because I'm sure, you know, playing in front of, yeah, 30, 40,000 fans, as you mentioned, and also the Blues Villa games. What would you say is sort of like the most hostile yeah. atmosphere and the best atmosphere you've played in? Well, the most hostile would have been Millwall away in the semi-final. Uh, pound for every time I had, I was going to be killed, I would have been I'd have been living in Dubai. Um, <laughs> but that and Leeds, Leeds is another one, a real hostile place to play. But the, the best atmosphere ever played in, ever, and I believe we played in two cup finals was the Ipswich game at home, four-one, semi-final. That that is now that now that still puts the hairs up on the back of your neck. Unbelievable mm. like that. That that was louder than when we won promotion in the, at the Millennium. Mm. Yeah. It's just one of the things, isn't it, with atmospheres like that where the videos don't do it justice, I think, because like, you know, being there on that day you would have experienced it in four and as you said there, Martin, about the fact that that was louder than sort of other grounds that are bigger. And it just goes to show that when, you know, St Andrews is rocking, we have that atmosphere, then it could be a hard place for anything oh, to come I to. Mean, because especially with the, the time. Yeah. with the song that they've got as well, once that starts, it's, I, I've not played a, a better ground for supporters and atmosphere than Birmingham's. It's, I used to love going and play there every week. It just, it, that, mm. that would give me an straight away, especially when it was full. Unbelievable. Mm. It's one of the things, isn't it? Like, we're just waiting for the whole ground to be open once again because we've been out without yeah. like a full capacity stadium in what three and a half years, and we're just waiting for yeah. you know the full stadium to be back. And I think when it is back, we can make a sort of real charge then towards like the promotion places because how we started the season and the new investment in the club as well. But, um, yeah, speaking about yeah. some of the occasions that you played in and yeah. sort of you know the big occasions, the big players, who would you say is the toughest opponent you faced? Toughest, I mean, people. Uh, I've said this to me before, and like I, I, I was lucky enough to play against Henri, Wiltord, Vieira, Shearer, and all. They're all, they were, all, they're all a different specimen. You know? But the most difficult players I found to play like, and I, I'm not just saying this because he was a Blues player. I played against him many times. We had battles. Was Paul Devlin, John McCarthy, Jamie Lawrence at um, Leicester, and he played at Bradford. Um, and people like Gareth Ainsworth because they wasn't just sort of quick. They, were, they wasn't all particularly blessing skill. They were quick, direct, and I used to always start the game. And if, if the game started off and he got the ball, I think, right, I'm going to stick a real hard tackle on you first five, ten minutes. And then normally a winger wouldn't come back for like another 20, so you sort of half done your job. But those four I mentioned there, if I'd have done that to them two minutes later, I'd been looking at the clouds because they'd just whacked me up in the air. So that's when uh, I found them quite difficult to play against because they wasn't like a normal winger. They would really dig into you as well. I mean, I remember having a few battles with Debs when he was at uh, Sheffield United. I think he gave me 12 down both shins. Wow. And, um, <laughs> yeah, so... It, that sort of player. I mean, I can deal with the, the tricky players and all that because the more tricky times I've got to get the ball because you're touching it loads of times. And when you've got the ball, they don't normally close you down, the tricky ones. But when like lights McCarthy, Devlin, Ainsworth, Lawrence, 
they'll be sticking one through your shin as you're clipping it down the line. So those were the most difficult opponents for me, personally. Mm. And that's 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 an interesting sort of point you make there because I think you look at the modern day winger and they are probably smaller players who are very technical, very fast, very quick. So yeah. for you personally, you find that the bigger strikers who are going to give you problems in terms of physicality and, and, and strength tougher to deal with compared to maybe the more quick, nimble players. Well, I mean, don't get me wrong, pace is a killer. But mm. people, I mean, the, the four that I mentioned were all probably similar. They were all, if I knew there were certain wingers I could go and really stick a hard tackle on, I wouldn't see them for the rest of the game. Where if you mm. stuck one on them four, my my afternoon's going to be really busy because they're going to be sticking it back on me. Mm. So that, 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 that gives you something else to think about and you think, right, they're not going to go away. They're going to keep feeding them the ball. Where if I've give him a whack to start with, he's not going to want the ball. But them mm. four, like, as I mentioned, they, they kept wanting it and they kept coming back here. And I used to love them sort of games, but it just make your afternoon a little bit more difficult. Mm. Absolutely. And yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, we, we've spoken a lot about your time at, at Blues in the last episode. Um, I'd like to get a, a bit more insight as to your time at Colchester and Brentford, though. Um, particularly yeah. Brentford now because they've made big strides obviously in the Premier yeah. League now and and uh, uh, run fantastically as a club but what was your time like at both Colchester and Brentford? Well Colchester was a really as a young lad and back then I mean <clears throat> you had we had a manager who was a, a player at Birmingham Roy Mc, well, his name's Roy McDonough but I call him Roy McDonough um it'd be a real drinking culture back then mm. and he used to just play all his mates all the ones that went out on a Friday night for a game. So it wasn't it wasn't particularly great memories there for me. I was really happy, obviously, when I left. And obviously went to uh, Brentford, which Brentford was a really, really fantastic family club, to be honest. And um, I didn't up at, at the start. When Birmingham came in for me, it was, it was just David Webb pulled me in the office after I think we played Cardiff and said, the club were in trouble financially and I've sold you. And I was like... Okay, where am I going? And uh, he said, you're off to Birmingham. And, and being a London yet lad back then and young, I didn't really talk, know too much of um, the clubs. Sort of, I mentioned it to my dad and he went, he went no son, he said, you've got to go. So he said, Birmingham's a sleeping giant, um, mm. which is still resting as we speak, but hopefully we're going to get back there. And, um, mm. and that was it. And then I, I left and... That was history. I was at Birmingham for what nine years. Wow! So there was no, yeah, you like had that. no stay in the matter at all. It was you're at Brentford. You're going to Birmingham. End of. Well, I, I could have probably kicked up a sting, and then, um, but after I spoke to my dad, he went, "No, you, you, you've got to take the opportunity." Um, mm. And uh, I was just like, "All right, okay. What happens now?" Because you know, and and I come up. I met, I met Barry Fry at the Grosvenor House Hotel actually got after. Before the PFA awards, and um, went to Sunday. I'm sure it was a Sunday, and we agreed to sign, and that was it. And I was up there on the Monday. Wow! And, and yeah, is that something you get in football today? Would footballers get more of a say, or, or is that like because that that seems uh, crazy to me that you're just told you're going here, and that's no negotiation. Yeah, I mean, I could have I could have said no, but after speaking to my dad. The answer is always going to be yes, but I mean, footballers mm. these days are just—they have too much say in everything, don't they? Mm. You know, yeah. there's no, there's no one bigger than any football club. Mm. Yeah, awesome. no, I, I, just, I, I find it hard sometimes mm. to even watch some of the mm. like some prima donnas and all of that. But different mm. era, though, I suppose, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. And you, you, you touched on on Colchester, then you said it was quite a a drinking sort of party atmosphere. Was it? Was it just the football didn't feel as serious there or you wanted more of a challenge? No, it, or... it was. I mean, we used to, it was me and a, another young lad, Steve Restwick. We used to travel away with a team on a Friday. Uh, sometimes I'd be in a team, sometimes I wasn't. The team would go out drunk. We'd play on a Saturday away. I think I remember the last one I can recall was Mansfield away. We got beat 5-0 because everyone's mm. been out on, out on a drink the night before. So it wasn't, I mean, they we got relegated the conference back up, relegated conference. It 
it was, I mean, back then it was all drinking culture and it wasn't a, a very well run club financially. A bit of bother. Um, but then I think someone said there was always like two million pound in debt and back then that was a lot of money. Mm. So for me, it wasn't, it wasn't my favourite time in football. No. But as you said, you, you then got the move to Brentford. And as we said, now they are a, a club who are, are performing very, very well. Given their size and everything, they are, are doing an incredible job in the Premier League. How, how yeah. nice is it to see a club perform that well from sort of where they began, really? Yeah, I mean, even even when um, I was there, the, the club were in debt financially. And that's why they mm. sold the likes of myself and Nicky Forster. But it's just someone's come in and... Um, obviously run run the ship right and um, reaping the rewards. And now I think they paid, it was unheard of, they paid um, £34 million for a player. Little old club like Brentford, you know, and, and they didn't look out of place in the Premier League. Mm. Obviously got a good manager and a good scouting system, which they're picking up players for not a lot of money. Mm. And are there any sort of key points in your times at both Brentford and, and, and Colchester where you feel you could really kick on? Because obviously Blues is where you made the majority of your appearances. I think it was around 250. Um, but were there moments outside of Blues where you thought, OK, I'm really moving up here and, and proving my worth? Well, I, I mean, at the, the, the time I got the move at Brentford, I was um, I was just actually playing well. Um as it, uh, as it transpires, but I know Barry Fry wanted to sign me, but Ed Steen and David Owls, they told him not to sign me. So everyone has their opinions. But at the time, you, you thought you're playing well enough, something could happen. But I was I was happy there. It wasn't like I was trying to get a move or anything like that. I was just, I suppose, when you're happy and you're playing well, things, things go right for you. Yeah, absolutely. And, and moving on to a, a bit about yourself and your your set pieces, you were you were known as a bit of a dead ball specialist, and that's something yeah. that was quite key to your game. How important was that? Um, just to have that additional asset uh, as a player. Yeah, I mean, even when I was um, like a junior at school and things like that, I always used to practice, 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 practice out, and have a bag of balls for half hour, and and just whipping in corners, free kicks both ways. Uh, putting mannequins up and I'd end up trying to whip a free kick over the wall from six yards instead of 10 yards so you can get that pace up and down. Um, but where you see people nowadays, apart from, I mean, I think James Ward-Prowse has probably got to be one of the best around at the moment. People just try and put too much on it and you look at it and I'm just thinking they must have set-piece coaches just to mm. teach these people like body position. You haven't got to stand at a a right angle you know you just you just need to get that ball up and down with pace and with the modern day ball there's not many people who are going to save you if you get it in the right place mm. Agree. 100%. yeah i was just going to add on that martin um with like the free kicks and everything i suppose nowadays you've got the likes of yeah james ward prowse that's like a free, bit of a free kick specialist but I don't know, you seem yeah. to be seeing like a lot less of these like goals that happen from like long distance and that I don't know if it's a thing now where people are sort of coached to like you know work it in or whatever, just like to be more sort of like intricate with the passing and everything. But how would you say sort of the game's changed from then to now? You mentioned earlier about the physical side of it, but what else do you think has changed about the game? Yeah, I just think every, the modern day game is just all about, okay, we want to keep possession, we want to play good football. But sometimes it's just overplaying there's only certain teams where the best players can play that way um like man city i mean the pet way where they're rolling it out from the goalkeeper but lots of football and you just think sometimes go forward go forward mm -hmm. a bit quicker start entertaining going England, that way mm. yeah mm. it's just i mean I, I i watch it and like the wife will say well you're watching that football and I'm, I'm like no it bores me sometimes it's just mm. it's just it's just like watching a testimonial Ball goes sideways, sideways, backwards, keeper, sideways, mm. sideways, back. I like the football. I like the, not not saying smash the ball long, but play good football, but go and play in their half. Yeah. I mean, yeah. do supporters like I'll ask you, do you do you like sitting there when the ball's getting rolled sideways and backwards for God, three or no. four minutes and then all of a sudden God. they've got nowhere to go, they knock it long and they lose it. Mm. You know, there's only certain do. teams in the world that can play like that. Mm. Yeah. 
Do you always think it's like based now, isn't it? Like with all the statistics and you know looking into it with all these like you know we see it in the championship with um, Southampton. You know they look to keep the ball, but then they get smashed five 0 by Sunderland. So it just goes to show that the yeah. statistics don't yeah. necessarily mean you know everything. I mean, I watched my my lad was at Norwich, and I use this as an example. When he was thirteen, he went to Ipswich, and I was gobsmacked that Norwich we went five 0 up in about 23 minutes because the goalkeeper kept rolling it out on the edge of the box or in his box to the players that were there. They kept losing it and they kept scoring, but the, the coaches kept encouraging it. And I was just thinking, if they keep making the same mistakes on things. Mm. Now, I just think sometimes it's just they're just forcing it just to try and play. Yeah, obviously, you want to keep the ball. You don't want to keep seeing the ball smashed 50 yards that way constantly for the whole game. But you've got to mix the game up. But now it's, it's becoming too samey mm. for me. I mean, I don't really watch the international. I, I watched the last half hour. I just find that boring because we, we've got a manager that plays with an handbrake. Yeah, I, I, I completely Imagine. agree. Yeah, do, do you almost think the game is maybe a bit too tactically? Because uh, it's, I think a lot of teams these days can, and you know, I, I'm not too involved in behind the scenes at football, so I don't 100% know, but from the outside looking in, it almost feels like games are so heavily tactically played and players and teams are told to do this and do that when sometimes it's just about making those decisions on the pitch. I mean, uh, would, would you agree with that? Yeah, I mean, we, we got, when we played, we got told to play a certain way and like wanted to get it in a second strike and you come back in the midfield and you go wide but if it ain't working we would go right sack that we'll do something else until half time mm. and uh and if and if we do it and it don't go right and we get a bollocking for it then then so be it but we we would try and change it ourselves but we're mm. it, it's just i mean i'm a Tottenham supporter and jose Mourinho and conte were the most boring managers ever you know, and, and I, I I want to be entertained a little bit, you know, and yeah. you want to get bums off seats and get get the atmosphere going because that that will give you another ten fifteen percent. Well, I keep seeing people roll it out, go sideways, sideways, backwards, and I turn it over. I mean, I'd rather watch Emmerdale. <laughs> I mean, who are some managers you played under who? Your you could play the way you wanted to play as a team. Who were some of your favourite managers that adopted the play style that yourself preferred, the team preferred, the fans preferred? Um, I tell you, he was a really good manager. I, I went on loan to Coventry for seven games, mm. and Eric Black was one of the best I played under. And I'd always go back to the best manager coach I've ever played under was my youth team manager at Colchester. Steve Foley, the um, Norwich for a few years, but he was the best. I've never played under anyone better, and I will give a shout out to Mark Bowen as well. He was very good. Mm. And what made them such good managers? Why, why did you enjoy playing them under them so much? Well, it's just, it's just the way they encourage you to play. You know, I mean, Mark, and the way he encouraged you to defend, and you're thinking. Yeah, I'll have some of that. And Steve Foley, he was, he was all about passing the ball, but he encouraged you to pass it in the right way, not like we'll go three, three sideways, two back. You know, it, it, I don't know. It's just, it was just, just their style, the way they, they sort of impose themselves on you to do the right things and you know, things. And they, they would encourage you sometimes. Do that again. But if you make a mistake, mm. then you know. Then try not to make that mistake again. You know, they, they, they gave you that sort of um, confidence in yourself mm. to go and do what you know you can do. Mm. Yeah, I think I think managers play such an important part in players' confidence and development, and they can be so key. I mean, as we mentioned, you obviously played left-back for a lot of your career. How did you get into the position of left-back? Because as a kid, most strikers want to, or most players want to be strikers and, and forwards and score the goals. But why left back for you? Why was that your key position? I was a left winger when I was a kid. Um, okay. And I, the reason I was a left winger was because I used to get the ball out of the feet and I used to jammer of a left foot. So I used to score loads of goals. Mm. Just as as you come against better opposition and quicker fullbacks, so I wasn't particularly 
blessed with pace, but I could I could go and close the ball down over like if it was in a circle, I could go and wrap the ball as they say and get it off you. So I sort of went backwards gradually, left wing, it was well left of a three up front, then left south. It just come naturally, and I found it natural to have the game in front of me, where you find players are are really good with the gut with the with the, oh, what was I going to say? Uh, I found it natural for me to have the game in front of me, where players could play with the game at the back of them. You know, it's just mm. it and and I adapted to it quite well. Mm. Yeah, the p- position, and, and I guess being a left winger and a left back, you you probably can carry over similar abilities to what you did going forward as going back. And I think particularly today, if you can have a full back that can so effectively go forward, I think it just elevates your game, really, doesn't it? Yeah, if you look at, uh, wouldn't look out of place today as a modern day fullback, would he? Hmm. You know, because he he could play in between those in between those quite comfortably. I don't think he'd be doing too many, many tackling, but he could get up and down. He was quick. He could cross the ball. Um, someone like him would, would probably suit today. Um, I might have yeah. to take that sweeper role, I reckon, because I don't think I've been quick enough. <laughs> <laughs> Jamie, sorry, I'm hogging all the questions, mate. If there, is there anything you want to ask? Yeah, so mainly because, like you just said, you're a winger who then went to play left-back as he got older. Obviously, when your professional yeah. career started, I'm assuming you started as a left-back at that point. I've always just wanted yeah. to know, like, in terms of... Because you never backed out of a 50-50. Was that something that was in, like, yeah. put into you through training, or is that just like, you've always played football? Is that always just a mental thing for you? Like, okay, who you are, I'm going for it. I'm having it. I think I think it's a mental thing, because when I was a, when I was a youngster at school and then school boy, I never really tackled anyone. I used to... I'm not afraid, but I think sometimes there's a fear of getting hurt. And then all of a sudden, you go to fallback and then become a little bit... Um, I don't mean that in a bad way. I mean, like, really thumping in the tackles. And when you find out that it don't really hurt that much, then I sort of enjoyed it <laughs> in a weird mm-hmm. way. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I mean... I mean, I mean, playing in that left back position again, it is very physically challenging, as as we said. And you did play a few games at centre half, did you? Uh, I played the year I won the Player of the Year awards. I played every goal, every position that year, except in goal. Wow! So that played. I played right wing for seven weeks. Loved it. Wow! So what's so it like had, having to adapt? Yeah. Oh, I loved it because if you, um, I played centre midfield for a couple of months as well. I, I went up front at Sunderland for 20 minutes, played right back, played centre half. But the thing is, if you're out of position, you play crap, it ain't your fault. <laughs> yeah, of course. So, yeah. how hard is it to adapt between positions? Um, I found it pretty easy, really. It's just, I really enjoy playing centre midfield for, for a period and right on the and on the right because you could cut. Um, I weren't too too great up front though of making the runs. That's a bit of a specialised position. But um, I think I got chucked up there at Sunderland. We were losing. I actually scored. I think. Oh, um, right. Yeah. So uh, it, it is nice to try in different positions, but I prefer to play left back. But if it got me in the team, I'd just play. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that's something that a lot of players probably don't possess these days, or you wouldn't see managers do as much, probably. I mean, you'd never see Van Dyke up front for Liverpool or play on the wing. It just doesn't happen these days. But obviously, back then, it was more of a dumb thing. Why was that? Was it lack of numbers? Was it injuries? Or was it just you were that much of a versatile player? Managers were comfortable with playing you all across the pitch? Yeah, you, you've got that. And there's no, like, I mean, Percy, Darren Percy, down to him a few times, me. They stick you up front because they know you're going to cause a bit of pressure or a bit of havoc because I'm going to throw me head in, I'm going to stick my foot in, I'm going to I'm going to uh, smash people about so we can try and get the run of the ball to get back in the game. So probably just basically it cause havoc. Yeah, I imagine a lot of the time it's to offer something different and give teams something to think about because you see a lot of the tactical substitutions that are made these days. You might see a, a five foot seven tricky. Uh, winger come on for a six foot two strong powerful striker so I imagine having something different to offer maybe in the last 20 30 minutes benefits benefits both yeah. yourself 
development-wise and the team highly to go and get another goal. Yeah, that's it. I think sometimes uh, it's, it's just throwing it just to try and mix up your game and muck up their game. Um, mm. You don't see too much of it nowadays. I mean, the Premiership, you have 11 substitutions now anyway, don't you? So you can have, I think, what was the game Man City played the other day? Two goalkeepers on the bench. Why do you need two yeah. goalkeepers on the bench? Yeah, I know. You know? I know. Um, but you can't do that in the Championship. If you can do it in the top league, why can't more games in the Championship if you have two half-decent cup runs? All right, if you're not in the Championship, if you're in the Champions League, go all the way, you're going to play more games. But in the Championship, you just play as mm. many games. Why can't you have 11 substitutes? Yeah, that's true. Of course. No, I, com- I completely agree, yeah. Um, just to, well, we've taken, spoken a lot about Blues, a uh, bit about Brentford and Colchester. Um, you obviously mentioned your time at Coventry as well. You played at uh, seven games. Uh, your Wikipedia also shows you played for, is that Wyvernhoe Town? Is that how you say it? <laughs> Wyvernhoe Town. Yeah, that's the one. That's the one. How, yeah, no, how, how was your time there? Yeah, but that was when I was in a uh, what well, I was YTS back then, not not apprentice. So I went on loan to a club called Concord Rangers. They were local in Essex, with an hotel and Chelmsford City. Yeah, that's mm. that's um that's a real eye out now because they are probably I mean Chelmsford not so much now, but they were I think it was Ryman Premier, Beza Homes League, and there was another one that was lower than that. Um, but that sort of Mans you up a little bit as well because we used to have proper uh, reserve and it used to be the called combination league and you'd play against Averley, Woking, Wokingham Town. You as a fifteen, as a sixteen, seventeen year old, you'd be playing against seasoned non-league players that kick lumps out you. So mm. you had to grow up very quickly. Mm. So how important very were tough. your times at those clubs in terms of your development? How much did they help you? get into the professional game. Yeah, but I, I found I found out early doors, you make mistakes as the youngster in the first team and it's costing you points, you're you're gonna get some bollockings. Um and it does man you up a little bit because you get bashed and bruised all over the place and it it, it, it toughened me up. Um mm. and I, I was doing that from sixteen years old. You wouldn't do it now. I mean, if you was at Man City, you'd be going on loan to Leeds, wouldn't you? You wouldn't be going on loan to Concord Rangers. Yeah, absolutely. And in terms of even small things, we touched on it earlier about hostile atmospheres and that, but I guess at smaller non-league clubs, you can probably hear it a little bit more. Do you find that it's a different kind of pressure playing for those sort of teams? Yeah, but I mean, the, the, the expectation, I've got a little bit of a funny side, because I went on loan to Fisher Athletic. We were in London, uh, back in the day, they were a good non-league side. And um, I was a little bit chunky back then as a as a, as a a YTS player. And I had a, a player that played for Bert, a, a, for Colchester called Paul Roberts, and he was a Londoner. And he had a friend that was a, a Fisher fan, and he ran up and down for 90 minutes. And I was 16 mm, years I mean, old, shouting out, come on, yeah. salad. And because <laughs> there's not a lot of people there, you hear everything. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Wow, I mean, it, it, it's, it's, I think I think the good thing about non-league football, and I've tried to get into it a little bit more the last few seasons, is it's such a di- different experience. I think both as a player and as a fan, it just feels it, the culture between big football, big teams, big clubs, your top six Premier League Championship, and then your smaller clubs, like I've been going to a few Kidderminster Harrier games, all that sort of stuff. I think it's such a different experience. Was it, obviously playing in the professional game is, is great and fantastic and all, but did you really value and enjoy your time at these smaller clubs where maybe you have the opportunity to, I know you've got the pressures of wanting to push further, but maybe where you can enjoy your football a little bit more and play with it a, a little bit more relaxed. But ultimately, every week you want to win, but then mm. you see how much it means to some of these supporters. I mean, you, we went to Weymouth with, with, with an O-Town and I think they took about 20 people. And well, mm. I think we won that day 3-2. And um, the joy on their faces, you know, and it's probably cost them an arm and leg to go halfway across the country. Mm. And you, you do get a little bit more intimate with them as, like, personal-wise, they get to know you very quickly because there's only a few of them. And you want to win for them, like you do for any mm. supporter. Mm. It's almost that community feel, isn't it, and that togetherness, and you probably yeah. feel a bit more like a family. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, that's it. You. Um, I mean, ultimately, at the end of the day, you want to win 
through supporting. Mm, don't don't worry about yourself. It's like winning for you guys. I mean, mm. don't get me wrong. I want to win, but I want to win for the football club. Absolutely. And I guess just to finish off, because I think we've covered most things, uh, your time at commentary made seven appearances there. Uh, how was that experience yeah. for you? Yeah, it was really good. I mean, at the time, I, was, I had West Ham, uh, Trevor, after Officer Trevor Brooklyn bring me up, and um, he said he wanted to take this on loan um, at the same time as Coventry. And this is no disrespect to Coventry, but West Ham were further up in the division. Um, they were going for promotion. And I just said to him, look, I think your expectations were a little bit more than where my fitness was at the time. Coventry because they were sort of I think they was in the bottom half and it was I thought it was somewhere I could go and it wouldn't be so much pressure um, mm. because I was still really struggling with my knee at that time and um, <clears throat> that and then I, I played seven games got recalled and that was it my knee collapsed again didn't it so um, yeah I really enjoyed myself at Coventry fans were loved but fans um, and obviously we had Eric Black who's a really good coach. Mm, and how tough was it, sort of, for your football career to end through injury? It's it's obviously not the way you probably wanted things to to finish for you. No, I felt like I mean I was I was one of the fittest at the football club, so fitness wise, I was like it was just physically it was just it was impossible. Um, mm. A bad way to go out against Man United, but I would have liked to have if I didn't stay at Birmingham. Obviously, thirty two, thirty three, thirty four. I'd still play now if I could. Mm, yeah, absolutely. You were uh, scored on your final game as well, if I'm not wrong, Martin. Right? The free kick. <laughs> yeah, I, I did. I actually come on a sub and I took a, and it actually hit the 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 wall in the shins, and that's where my knee popped. And then um, we got another one, and uh, Brucey was shouting at me to take it, and I and I couldn't. I didn't want to because of my knee, and then I took it. And we scored, so I was lucky. But that was it, yeah, that was the last game. Mm. No, fantastic. And um, we'll finish on, Sam, you're right to ask this, the Trevor Francis question as well? We got that yeah, yeah. I was just going to add this on the end because um, obviously the sad news that Trevor Francis passed away a couple of months ago. Yeah. And obviously he was your manager at Birmingham for a number of seasons. Yeah. What was it like to play under Trevor Francis, such a legend at the club and a well-liked and respected figure in football? Yeah, I mean, Trevor was Trevor. Obviously, even when he was a manager, he was the best footballer at the club. He used to join in training, and um, he was he was uh, unbelievable. Like if he was doing crossing, and finishing, and it was breaking down, he'd, he'd come over and he'd just get it, whip the ball in. That's how you do it: laugh and walk off. And yeah, Tre Trevor had his moments. He was sometimes a bit temperamental, um, very passionate, wanted to win for the. Um, I got on really well with him, um, and it's really sad that he's he's gone he's gone too early. But hopefully the club will do something in his memory, like maybe a statue or that sort of thing. Absolutely. Because first million pound player, you know, and he was he was some player. Mm. He was. Yeah, absolutely fantastic player. Um, I think that's pretty much everything covered. Sam, Jamie, do you have any more additional questions? Or I just think... Go on, Jamie. Sorry, just, just a quick one. Just a boring one, really. But a lot of people seem to think that this is a bit of a shock season for us. Like we're a bit of a dark horse. What important credentials do you think in a team would be needed to get promotion from the championships to the Prem? A lot of people say it's the hardest league in the world. Yeah, I... Um, I, I put something on Twitter about hopefully the, the club will do it the right way and don't get me wrong but everyone wants to gain the premiership but there's no point getting in the premiership if you're not geared up and you get relegated straight away um, I'd like the club I'd like to see the new owners do it slowish you know um, spend the right sort of money don't start signing players and they're getting 60, 70, 80,000 pounds a week and you're going back down again and you can't afford it then they're going to pull their money out. But these these people you see have gone in and look like they mean business and they're going to do it the right way and hopefully they do it the right way. A model where it's sustained and they stay there. 
instead of going up, coming back down, going up, coming back down, don't go up for three years. Mm. You want it like so like the Brentford model, you know, that, yeah. that sort of thing. And hopefully yeah. that'll, be, that'll have some sustainability. Um, yeah. Don't get me wrong, I think Birmingham fans would love to be a yo-yo club for the next up and down, up and down. But wouldn't it be nice to stay there for five or six years? Oh, or God. even longer? Yeah, I, I completely agree. Yeah, we, we've seen a lot of clubs in recent years. Norwich is one that springs to mind. Maybe Watford a little bit that constantly go up and down. And you might not yeah. agree, but I, I think Luton could potentially become one of those clubs. I think they've invested and are almost preparing life for life in the Championship again this season. But yeah, yeah. As, a, as a fan, certainly we just want that stability. We want to slowly push up the league because we understand that success doesn't come overnight. Um, we'd like to get a good squad and a good foundation going and hopefully can push up to that playoff place and maybe even even higher to win the league, who knows? Um, and then once you get to the Premier League, you just want that stability. You want to invest in the right places so you can stay there. I think Nottingham Forest have done it very well in terms of the players they've bought in. Um, we'll just have to see what happens with Luton. I mean, do you have any predictions for the footballing season, both Championship, Premier League? Any thoughts on any clubs, particularly for yourself as a Spurs fan? Well, I've, I mean, looking at Ange Postecoglou at the moment, um, he's they're making all the right noise. They need to sign a few more players. Uh, I think Man City will win the Premier League. Blues will get in the playoffs. Um, winning the championship, oh, that's a tough one because you could, you could probably five or six teams. Um, but I'd rather. Uh, what would you rather go up, Matt and Clear, or in through the playoffs? Good question. Yeah. I mean, me personally, I'd love playoffs. Oh, because playoffs. Yeah. Yeah. Was like, <laughs> yeah. If you're guaranteeing me that I go to Wembley and we go up, fantastic. <laughs> yeah, give me Wembley yeah. all day. I've been Wembley Absolutely. twice one as an England fan, one as a Birmingham fan. 2011 Carlin. Link up final and obviously to watch us smash San Marino 5 0. So if I could carry on my 100% yeah. Wembley record for the team I want to win, beautiful. Yeah. Yeah. Be nice. Yeah. And uh, Spurs, thoughts for the season? You've started well, second in the league. How do you think things will go for yourselves? Well, uh, he's, playing, he's playing some good stuff, which Spurs supporters have been craving for the last four or five years. Mm. Um, but I do think. I'm one of the ones where I'm happy because Harry Kane, you don't know whether he's a striker now or a midfield player. Hmm. Uh, don't get me wrong, he's a, he's a fantastic finisher, but I think you could go and get more of a team player out there because I, I went to watch Spurs last game of the season at home against Crystal Palace. And every time Spurs got the ball, it looked like they had to give it to Harry Kane. And you can't run it, you can't play a team like that. Don't get me wrong, he scored. And, but for me, I like a striker to play as a striker. Uh, mm. It's like the other night, it, it, I watched the last 30 minutes of the England game and they said, oh, there's five in the box. He's crossing it. Mm. He's supposed to be a striker. Yeah. Yeah. You know, oh, why is he not in between the sticks? Mm. Yeah. You know, I, I like strikers to play as strikers, but I may be old fan. No, yeah. no, I, I agree. Not at all. Nothing more infuriating. In for me as a Birmingham oh. fan, Martin. When, when you look up and you see Lukas Djukovic is on the left wing whipping it in, you're like, why are you not in the box? <laughs> <laughs> uh, I yeah. mean, that's probably one of the best parts of his game as well, attacking the ball in the air and he's, yeah. what, six foot two, six foot three, powerful. Yeah. Get yourself in the box. Oh, yeah, completely agree. Yeah. So, uh, just to finish off then, top four, is that the realistic expectation this season for Spurs? Or can you maybe win the league? Who knows? No, nah, I don't think they'll win the league. They're probably three or four, three or four players, mm. quality players, shy. Maybe top six, getting to mm. Europe again. I suppose. I think getting in the Champions League, finishing. Everyone wants to finish in the top four. For me, Champions League should be, just be the champions. Yeah. Finishing false failure, isn't it? Really, mm-hmm. but you get rewarded for it. But. That's modern day football. And and just quickly, actually, what why do you support Spurs? Is it where you grew up? Is it family connections? Yeah, North London. My granddad was a Spurs supporter. My brothers were all been Spurs supporters. Um, but when I was a, uh, when my young, well, my oldest, he's twenty seven now. But when he was at school as a junior, 
he would decide he wanted to be an Arsenal supporter, but we soon knocked oh. that out of him. Sure. <laughs> that's yeah, like, that's like that having a, can you? Yeah, no chance. It's like having a son, having being a Villa fan, it just can't happen, can it? Never. Unacceptable. <laughs> so, it's been the Blues for this podcast, guys. Please follow us on all our socials. It should be on the side or down. Obviously, we're on YouTube, Spotify, all that other stuff that Tommy usually knows about that Jamie doesn't because he's not too technical. And, uh, yeah, this podcast will be up soon. So, thank you, Martin, for your time again. You've been amazing, honestly. Oh, it's been a pleasure. Thank you. Cheers, gents. Cheers, right. Cheers, man. Cheers, Martin. Keep right on. Podcast Network. There's always something new and exciting happening in Montgomery County, Maryland. Join podcaster and business leader Kelly Leonard and me, Bob Levy, on another episode of Something to Talk About, where we speak with industry leaders making an impact in our county. It's the 90th minute. All your mates around, you've got your McNugget share box ready to go, your mates are already booked for double dipping, and you steal the last nugget, snatching all three points. Order McDelivery now on the McDonald's app. You in? At participating restaurants, 18 plus, serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans.